stand as I read 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Hear the word of God. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to public to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you again for this morning, for the joys that we have experienced, for the reminders of your goodness. We pray that true gratitude would arise in our hearts and that gratefulness would be a profound apologetic for the gospel this week in us and through us. Lord, as we come to your word, we ask for your help. We need the Holy Spirit to give us sight. We need illumination. We need light. We pray that your word would go out and be received Accompanied by the power of your spirit to bring forth transformation, sanctification and the building of your church. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak to us even now, even today, God of glory, speak. Our Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. A man named C.P. Snow, what I know, know nothing about, but he once said about Winston Churchill that he has not only helped to, to save us, Winston, Winston Churchill, the prime minister of England, uh, Great Britain, United Kingdom during uh, World War II, he has not only helped to save us from dying, he has shown us a pattern of how life can be lived. He's not only helped to save us from dying, but he's shown us a pattern of how life can be lived. There's a danger, there's always been a danger, but it's a profound danger in our day and age of a fragmented life. The danger of a fragmented life where you appear as one thing here and then you appear as another thing here. Uh, And I say it's a profound danger in our day and age because uh, your parents... Probably, or your grandparents, certainly your great-grandparents, did not live in the glass bubble, the goldfish bowl of social media. Do I need a handheld or just yell? I can do that as well. Um, 
so that we are, we, we can, if you if you're intentional about it, and you probably know people who do this, that you are able to cultivate an image of yourself for everyone else to see and then to be something completely different. And really, sometimes it turns into what the Pharisees, what Jesus accused the Pharisees of, that you're whitewashed tombs. It's so easy to put this picture out here of this is what we are and this is who we are, who I am. And on the inside, I'm actually rotting. See the football. Just just like South Carolina did a lot. (laughs) All I'm going to say, I was astounded last night. Astounded. I hadn't I expected something. A lot different. Because um, we're South Carolina. This is what we do. It's a lot different than that. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but it's so easy to cultivate an image of yourself. And in some ways, we're, we are, we're schooled to do this. We're trained to, the, to this from a, from a very early age. We, we learn what our context approves of and what our context disapproves of. And oftentimes, we do our best to conform ourselves into that context. Now, sometimes that could be a good thing and many, many often, oftentimes that's a bad thing. But there's a danger in a fragmented life. Another way you might call, you might call this is a disintegration of person, right? Where you are not an integrated person. You're, you're saying one thing and you're doing another. The old school word for this is hypocrisy. But I don't want to drop the hammer like at the introduction on you. Uh, but it's, it's so easy, and we have to understand the danger of it, especially now. It's so easy to put forward this, and then to really truly be this. And in fact, you're thinking, well, that's those other people, you're thinking of all the hypocrites in your life, right? All those hypocrites that you know, those other people, how dare they, those others. Like you never walk in here and your week has been an absolute train wreck. And somebody says, how's it going? You're like, it's great. (laughs) That's the danger of a fragmented life. You're thinking, this person doesn't want it, right? They, They don't want my garbage. They don't want my baggage. And that may be true some some places, but dear ones, it has to be that it has to be different here. You don't have to get into all your, you know, nitty gritty, but to say, hey, will you just pray for me? I've had a rough week. That's okay, You know? You can have the joy, 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 joy down in your heart and still say, it's been hard. And the more that we feel like we've got to falsify our outward self, the more the greater danger we are of losing our inward roots. The more we feel like we have to present a falsified picture of ourselves. The easier it is to lose who we ultimately are. Forget who we are. And that's true of any believer in Jesus. Somehow you think I've got to be this, but this is where I am. I know all of these things about I have to I have to believe this and I have to do this. And that's I'm not saying that's not right. But at the same time, we live in a fallen world. We are still ourselves assaulted by inward sin. And so what the gospel of Jesus tells us. Is that God loves you, not because of your performance, but in spite of your performance. And if God loves you in spite of your performance, then that makes us, we should be able to be real. 
the greatest, I don't want to say resolution to hypocrisy is transparency. I'm saying this is the gospel and this is where I am and Jesus loves me and this is what I'm growing in to be. And that's true for any Christian. No matter the church you run in, the circles you run in, it's so easy to put on airs. But we should be people who are authentically happy. Who authentically mourn. Who are grieved. Who endure. All evidence of God's goodness in us. And as I mentioned earlier, right? What does is, what is Jesus say? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are willfully acknowledge their bankruptcy of spirit. When Paul says, right, I pray to the Lord that he would remove this thorn. I had this thorn in my flesh and I prayed three times that he would remove it. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your strength. No, that's not what he said. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And while that is true, this danger of a fragmented life, it is is true for everybody. The threat of it for any Christian, for any person. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I might give to you, lay before you this morning, that the large degree of your anxiety, your fear, your concern, your dissatisfaction, it lies near this root. That you are not who, you're, who you were made to be. And in fact, better said, you don't know the one for whom you were made. That you have bought into a fragmented life. And the invitation to you from Jesus today is come behold. And it's the same invitation that we ourselves have as Christians. Come to Christ and behold. Come to me all you who are labor, who are weary and And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy and light. But while this is true for simply human existence, it is profoundly true for ministers of the gospel, for preachers, for pastors, for missionaries. And this is exactly where Paul begins to drill down with little Timothy. He has, from last week we talked about 6 through 10, he's talking about training yourself up for godliness. And we kind of try to hammer home what godliness really means, living living God's way in God's world. And now he comes back in verse 11, he says, Command and teach these things, again, circling back to what he had just said. Command and teach the importance of training yourself for godliness, of living by God, living God's way in God's world, of living a life of hope in the living God who is the Savior, the preserver of all people, especially of those who believe that command and teach the gospel, Timothy. But as we know, as we learn in a second, Timothy is a rather young man. He's probably in his 30s. Those young pups in their 30s could say that now, right? Sage, just crossed over in the 30 land. I'm in the well-seasoned 40. 
Not 40s, just, we're just 40 right now. So settle down, okay, everybody? <laughs> Slow down. But Timothy is a rather young man, and, and he's, he's called to come into this church that's beset with false teaching, with all sorts of distractions, and he's given the charge by the apostle, command and teach these things. Two present tense imperatives. An imperative is simply a command. Go do that. Present tense means continue to go do that. Timothy, your job is to continue to command godliness. Continue to command the gospel. Continue to shoot down false teaching. You must continue to command and teach these things. And for those of you who have been here for a while, you know that it can be hard at times to have someone who is significantly younger than you tell you what to do. voice of truth arises. <laughs> but you know, it can be difficult to have a young man come in as your pastor and begin to say, no, we need to do it this way and this is the truth and this is not right and this yada, 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 yada. And the only way that the gospel proclamation can be held up over time is if there is a consistency and integrity, both of outward ministry, of outward faithfulness, and inner faithfulness. That there is a pursuit, not of a fragmented life, but of an integrated life. So after telling Timothy, command and teach these things, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. How? You could insert in brackets there. How? How can you not let other people despise you? How am I supposed to go to a person that says, you are not allowed to despise me for my youth? Well, it it doesn't work, right? If you do it that way. But Paul says, by example, by your pattern of life. It makes me think of a, a a million stories about my grandfather who didn't despise me for my youth, but he kind of poked fun at me for my youth. Uh, as an early young, young pastor. And I remember once I, I wasn't in you know, my first church. I, I wasn't married till I came to Blaney. And uh, in my first church, uh, I was obviously single. And I was I was talking to him about my first one or first or second couple that I was doing premarital counseling with. And I was, you know, I was do, going through premarital counseling. And he says, what do you know about it? <laughs> and I said, I know what the Bible says. <laughs> and, and there's story after story like that where he's like, what do you? Anyways, um, or the old, I want to admonish you as a brother. My grandfather used to say, I'm not going to talk to you as my grandson. I'm going to admonish you as a brother. And I was, I was, I was ready for the, the sting that was following. But it was always good. Um, it was always redemptive. But the way that he was, he was to com- command and teach these things is that his outer witness had to be followed up by a private life. So how is Timothy going to live a life of integrity and of consistency, well, one, he has to do it personally. His integrity, flowing from the gospel, it has to be one that is personal, that he is to set an example. That preachers and pastors, we often complain about we live in glass houses and goldfish bowls and, you know, everybody knows what you're doing. You know where I live. You know when my car's in the driveway. You know when my car's not here. Maybe many of you don't. It used to be worse than it is now, but um, you know what's happening. And part of that's something to be lamented and, you know, 
whatever you want to like crawl into a hole. But then the part of, other part of it is, is like, good. Here's my life. Here's our lives. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. There has to be a consistency, a personal consistency of gospel fruit in Timothy's life if he's going to do what Paul tells him to do. If he's going to fulfill the ministry that God has given him to do, then he must be a man of integrity and of character. And you're thinking, that's all well and good for Timothy or for you, pastor, but I'm not that. Well, you're pursuing a fragmented life that will ultimately break you apart. There will be a shipwreck to the fragmented life. Not only is he to live one personally, in a speech and in conduct and love and faith and purity, those things are rather straightforward, what Paul is saying to Timothy. But also... His inner consistency, his inner faithfulness to Jesus must flow out into a public, consistent witness. Look at verse 13. Until I come. Remember, Paul has sent Timothy to Ephesus. Do the work until I get there. Put down the false teaching, commend sound doctrine, raise up leaders, help the church worship, give order, direction in their life together and in their ministry and in their mission. And until I come, here are the things you must be about. Non-negotiables, Timothy. You can do all this other stuff, but if you're going to do what I'm calling you to do. Right, so Paul is telling Timothy to do something and Paul carries apostolic authority. And so he's commanding him as though it were the Lord speaking. This is God's inerrant, infallible word. And he says, until I come, devote yourself, give yourself away to the public reading of Scripture. Literally, it's just public reading. But everywhere else in the New Testament where this word shows up, it's usually in the synagogue where they're reading the Old Testament. Give yourself away to reading the Bible publicly. This is one reason in worship, this is what we do. Right? We we read it at the outset. We read it during the dedication. I read it before we preach. Sage usually has a benediction that's derived from Scripture because we want to say our authority, the ministry of this church is built upon the authority of God and His Word. It is not built upon the authority of any singular individual or group of individuals. That whatever authority that I might have as pastor of this church, it is one that derives from God through His Word. I only have the right to tell you what to do where God tells you what to do. To remind you that this is what God has said. That you should be living a life, particularly some of you, Sunday school teachers, your deacons, your serving, your you have a sort of a public persona in the church, so to speak. You're, you're, you're present. You should be living a life of example. This is not perfection. Perfection belongs to Christ and will belong to us in glory. But live a life knowing that you are to an ex- set an example. We'll talk more about this in, in coming weeks as we get into chapter 5. But live a life of example. Not only is he to devote, devote himself to public reading of Scripture, but to exhortation. That's, a, that's kind of a big fancy word uh, that the NIV does a good job and says it's preaching. 
to the encouragement, to consolation. So here's the Word of God, and this is how the Word of God speaks to your life, how you can be encouraged and confronted, consoled and spurred on to love and good deeds. And then teaching. This is what's happening in Ephesus, and this is what's happening in this passage of the Scriptures, and this is how these words fit together, and this is the theme and the picture so that you begin to understand. Paul commends to Timothy, above all else, the ministry of the Word. It sounds very, very similar to the apostles in Acts chapter 6. Remember Acts chapter 6? There's a disagreement that's happening between some these Hellenistic widows, these Greek-speaking widows, and these uh, non-Greek-speaking widows. Uh, one's being served, one's being neglected. And the apostles say, we cannot give up the ministry, the service of the word and of prayer. There has to be a headliner. Timothy, you can do a whole lot of other good things. But you cannot neglect this. And this stands not just for Paul and the apostles, not just for Timothy and Titus and Tychicus and all the other apostolic emissaries, but this stands for every preacher of the gospel in every pulpit, in every place, in every street corner. You are given this job until I come. You're thinking Paul's not coming. No, he's not, but Jesus is. And until Jesus comes... This is what we must headline. And until Jesus comes, or death before, this is what this church, the ministry from here, will headline. By God's grace. What has God said? What does it mean for you? What does it mean? What do you do with it? The ministry of the word. Because you don't grow up into a consistency of life, a life of integrity, inwardly and outwardly. You don't grow up into who you're supposed to be in Jesus outside of the Word of God. You could use, there's a whole other thing, a lot of other things that could help you along the way, but you never outgrow your need of the Gospel and you never outgrow your need for God's Word. So, Timothy is to live a life of integrity personally. Set an example for the believers, publicly, scripture reading, preaching, teaching, and then he's to remember, or past, if you, if you, I was trying to alliterate this, so personally, publicly, past, or remember. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have. So he's received something which was given to you by prophecy. The word there is is the little Greek preposition dia, and it can mean by or through or account of. Uh, and it's through, I think, is a better translation. That the gift doesn't come from the prophecy. The gift comes through the prophecy. The gift of God comes into Timothy's life through these men who are laying hands on him, probably in Lystra. Paul is one of them, as we'll see in 2 Timothy, that they lay their hands on him. He is ordained for the ministry. Laying on of hands in the pastoral epistles is about ordination for ministry. It is a public recognition and an impartation of confidence and of grace in a way that the minister of the gospel may be faithful. 
And I was telling, I think I was talking to Sage about this this morning, just a second ago. Because there will be days you must remember. And for, for the minister and for the Christian, right? For the Christian, you must remember the day that Jesus laid claim to your heart. When he came and he pushed out the darkness and the light shone in the dungeon and you came alive to Christ, remember the day. I'm not saying that you have to have like a spiritual birthday and you have to know the, the date and the year and all that kind of stuff. If some people do, that praise God. Or the time, 102 a.m., whatever it was. But you remember, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was lost and now I am found. Because there will be days when you have to remember this is what Christ has done. For the minister of the gospel, there will be times, and surprisingly often, where one of the only things you have to fall back on is that ordination. I wasn't crazy when I felt called to do this. I feel like I'm crazy a lot of the time. For good or for ill. Uh, but I wasn't crazy when I thought that this is what I was supposed to do. That there were people in my life who recognized the gifting. And they recognized the call. And then there was an ordination council. My grandfather was on that too. Uh, that, that asked me questions and grilled me about Bible and doctrine and life. And, uh, and then they came and they, they went through not, not just them, but, the, but they, all of those who were ordained. And all of the church came through and laid hands on me. And they prayed over me and they spoke truth over me. And there are some days where that's all I, rem- I, all I have. Say, Jesus, you got me into this. You've got to get me through it. Now, it's not, so, it's not so much like that these days often. There are times where I have to look back and be reminded and encouraged. But when things are hard, sometimes that's all you have. Timothy, don't neglect the gift you have. Don't neglect the calling and the equipping and the recognition of other godly people around you that you're meant for this. As we'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Lord willing, don't forget the testimony of your mother and of your grandmother. For some of you, don't forget the testimony of your sibling or of your spouse, your father or your pastor. Don't neglect it. Don't forget it. We need community. We need each other. So Timothy is to live a life of integrity and consistency, personally, publicly, past, remembering what God has done and called him to, and by practice in verse 15. Practice these things. Practice commanding and teaching the gospel, calling people to godliness, to live God's way in God's world. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Literally, it means be in them. Be submerged as though you dove into a pool. Give yourself away for the gospel. That's true for the pastor, for the minister, for the missionary, for the deacon, and for the Christian. Submerge yourself in the gospel good news. And let Jesus make sense of all the fragments of your life. Let him integrate and bring integrity and character where things are not as they ought to be. Remember the gospel of what Christ has done and promised to do in you. Practice these things.
make progress. Timothy is bolstering his public witness, his public faithfulness by personal faithfulness. Practice these things. Give a repetition to it. Keep preaching the gospel even when you don't see what you think you should see. Keep reading the scriptures, preaching, teaching, even when you don't see the fruit that you want to see yet. Keep submerging yourself in the gospel even though you're you're not where you want to be yet. Because it's only by keep coming back to the fountain of Christ the fountain of the gospel and the fountain of the word of God that you will make progress so that all may see your progress as you begin your, as the messages shift and, and change and faithfulness and of character and of application as your life begins to be a fuller blossoming of the life of Christ within you keep practicing them be in the gospel so that people can see I knew him when he was this old and now I see him now I knew her when she was like this, but now I see her now. There should be some evidence of there's growth in grace. There's growth by the power of God. Make the progress. Christian, you should simultaneously be integrated like you're you're saying, I'm going to be inwardly and outwardly consistently before Christ. I'm going to live before the face of God. But there should simultaneously be a contentment in Christ and a discontentment with your spiritual life or your spiritual progress. How about that? You understand what I'm saying? You should simultaneously be able to say, I am full, happy, satisfied in Jesus, but I'm not where I want to be yet. Sin still shows up. I'm not as faithful as I want to be. I'm not as bold and witnessing as I want to be. I'm not as generous and giving as I want to be. I want to be more like Christ. There should be a, a longing to make progress. As individuals and as a church. You cannot rest anywhere but in Christ. And if you're resting in Christ, that means you're continually being made into the image of Jesus. If you're resting in Christ, it means that you look nowhere else for hope, but you are not yet what you're going to be. And Christian, you are not yet fully conformed to the image of Jesus. You're beginning to take shape. The potter has his hands on you, clay. But he's not done yet. Remember Romans 8, 29, that he's predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. God's great goal for you is that you would look like Jesus. Keep making progress. Be contented and discontented at the same time. And church, this would be a sermon on its own, so I'm not going to do that. But be contented. God has been faithful to this body for almost 20 years, 120 something years. I don't know. For a long time. We need to be contented that God has planted this fellowship here, this church here to be a light to this community, but we are not where we're going to be as a together. We should long to be more effective in reaching our neighbors. We should have broken hearts over those who are lost within our stone's throw of this building. We should long to have more to give away. 
to raise up more for the ministry, more people to send out to the nations. We should long for more to make progress together, to make a dent for the kingdom of God before we close our eyes and rest. And finally, Timothy is to live a life of integrity and consistency inside, outside, personally, publicly, remembering the past, practicing it, making progress in it with persistence. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Let me throw something out that this doesn't mean, okay? This doesn't mean that Timothy somehow is able to salvifically save himself or literally save other people, right? We're saved by grace through faith, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone. To God only be the glory. God is the one who saves us. We don't save ourselves. We don't save other people. But Timothy, Paul comes to Timothy and says, keep watch. Be like a watchman on a wall over your own life and over your own ministry. What's your inner life like? Take an inventory before the Lord. Sit in silence. You know, read a psalm. Sit in silence before the Lord and say, I'm laid bare before me. Where is anything? Is there anything here that ought not be here? Is there a habit, a rule, an attitude, a resentment, a bitterness, an addiction? Lay it, God already knows about it. Lay it all out there. Keep a close watch over your life. And on the teaching, it's so easy. And personal like confession to you. It's so easy to say, look out there. Those, those churches are growing. They're growing so fast. And this isn't a knock on every church that grows, right? But some of them grow because they forsook preaching the gospel years ago. Not every, again, not everyone. And by God's grace, we are, God, He is re- re- putting us back together after COVID still. But it's so easy to say, well, if, you know, if I just did, you know, here are five lessons to a better you. It's like, I feel like I could do that. I could talk like that. And I have to keep coming back and I keep asking people in our church what... So when I'm at, when if I ask you or if you have the, the, the prompt, how, how is the sermon? I'm not looking for, oh, it was great. It's wonderful. Like, that's, I appreciate the encouragement. But if there's ever anything here that you're like, that's, it's not the way it ought to be. Tell me. This is, this is life, death, heaven, hell at stake right now. Not just for me, but keep a close watch on you. And what are you saying? Is it the gospel that flows from you into your family, into your children, to your grandchildren, to your neighbors? Or are you just giving them another picture of the world? Another picture of the culture? What are you giving Be persistent. Have the times of appointment before the Lord. 
have the times of appointment with other people who can speak into your life, who know you, that you're going to be honest with so that you can persist in these things. We must be watchful. Watchful over ourselves and also watchful over one another. You're not looking to drop the hammer on somebody, but you're wanting to say, narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. We should be stirring one another up to love and good deeds. Run the race on the narrow road. We need each other to be integrated people. To not fall for the chameleon two-faced, I'm going to be something here and then something somewhere else. Be consistently Christ's. Personally, publicly, remembering what He has done, what He's promised to do, practicing it, making progress in the Gospel, and persisting. And the only way you do this is by the fountain of Christ. You don't have the strength to do any of this on your own. It is only by His power working in you. As Paul says in Colossians, it's by His glorious might. Or as he told the second, in, this is 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians, he told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians that the same power in chapter 4, verse 6, but the same power that God exercised in making the heavens and the earth is the power that's at work in you to bringing you to Christ, bringing you alive to God. And we've been given the Spirit as a deposit to strengthen us on the way, to help us run the race. You are not alone in this, but beware the danger of a fragmented life. Beware the danger of hypocrisy. Not only will it destroy your joy, it might destroy your very life. So come to Christ and be made whole. Christian, if you're living this life of you, you, you're sort of a chameleon-like existence, you're like this over here and you're like this over here, and then you come into your churchy bubbles and you're like that, you might know all of the Bible stories. You might know all of the doctrine. But your, your life is inconsistent in its picture of Jesus. Come to Christ and be made whole. And oftentimes wholeness involves repentance. Saying, I changed my mind. I'm, by God's grace, I'm changing my way. But if you don't know Jesus, and you know exactly what I'm saying about a fragmented life, Your loves and your affections, your desires are all over the place. Come to Christ. Be rescued from sin. That which would tear you down and destroy you for eternity. Come to Christ to be saved. And part of that saving is Jesus making you whole. Come to Christ. There's no reason not to. There's no reason not to. Come to Christ and be made whole. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you for the invitation to live a life of a pattern of how a life ought to be lived. Would you, as you do your work in each heart now, as you show show the places where we're inconsistent or maybe putting on airs, putting on a face, Seeking in the approval of people, living in the fear of man rather than in the fear of God. 
Holy Spirit, would you come and prick those areas, point them out to our attention. Point them out, Lord, that you might say, this needs to go, this needs to be different. Would you raise up repentance in hearts? For those who don't know you, Lord, would they know that in Christ, all of your promises are yes. There's wholeness and forgiveness, but it's only through Christ. That they can be forgiven today in Christ. Their shame and their guilt can be gone today in Christ. Holy Spirit, do a work in them that they might call out to Jesus in faith. Father, would this word land on fertile soil to bear fruit for your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing together and respond?